Live from Orlando, Florida, you're now listening to the Ozone Podcast, the voice of Orlando Magic fans. Join us every week for a unique fan perspective on all of the latest Magic news and updates. The show starts now. Welcome back to another episode of the Ozone Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings and part of the Basketball Podcast Network. We're your hosts, Al, myself, Anthony, and today we have a very special guest joining us, writer for the Orlando Magic and also director of digital news, Dan the Savage Savage. <laughs> I, I like that. Uh, I guess Gary Harris, Gary, Gary Harris, Harris, uh, coined that one for me, so uh, it's sticking for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw that you had... You had uh, updated the the Twitter bio that you had, so you even put the savage in parentheses. I, I like that you took advantage of it. Um, but yeah, I had, to, a lot of, had a lot of requests, so I'm a man of the yeah. people. I had to, had to accommodate uh, all, all the requests coming in. Otherwise, uh, uh, didn't want any of the Twitter backlash, so uh, went with the Dan Savage Sar- Savage, much in as in Gary Harris, starring as Gary Harris. <laughs> I, I like it. We we have to know a little bit more of this uh, long line of savages that you come from. <laughs> yeah, you no, know, it's uh, funny enough. I don't have it in my uh, official name title, but I'm actually the third. So I do fo- follow a long line of just Dan Savages. And uh, obviously it's been the family name for quite some time. So uh, I do come from a long line of savages who are all honored by the fact that our namesake uh, came up during Magic Media Day. And was a was a focal point of uh, social media following that. Dan Savage the Third actually has a really nice ring to it. Like it sounds it like a like a king in a fantasy land. <laughs> so Dan, how how does it feel to be you know actually live and in person and finally being able to do these interviews, um, you know, in front of the players and not behind just Zoom conferences, um, and and through the computers? No, Anthony, that's a, a great point. Uh, Last season, I just felt like we lost so much, you know, being at a distance, just being a box in a Zoom call. And it was one thing when you you had guys you were familiar with. Like, obviously, I've known Vooch for almost a decade. You know, Evan Fournier has been there a long time. Aaron Gordon, I've gone to, you know, multiple all-star events with him as well as covered him for a long time. But then as you make the big trades midseason and guys are coming in and, you know, rookies are added, uh, being at a distance and trying to establish relationships is is extremely difficult. So, you know, it wasn't until I think about Summer League, the first time I actually stood next to Cole Anthony and was able to get a good size comparison. Really? You know, That's right. You know, media Day is the first time I meet Gary Harris in person, uh, you know, and some of the other guys that come in. So doing doing that aspect of the job, meeting these guys in the person, you know, allows you to build a trust level of familiarity Guys see you traveling with them. They know, you know, um, that you're, you know, you're part of the whole thing and they can delineate you from from somebody else. And what it really helps is when I'm doing things like this uh, last season, you know, if I was asked to hop on a podcast, it's like, well, the stories I have are the same things that you're seeing on the Zoom press conferences that we upload to the website. So I don't have too much else to add other than my takes, at least now. You know, I have some stories from training camp, have some stories from the game, seeing some things at practices, et cetera, that I could bring to the table that couldn't do before. Yeah, and that's a really good point because they and they've mentioned it numerous times that, you know, it's really hard to cover the team night in person. Um, so you definitely get a different feel. Now, let me ask you, you mentioned that you, you've had these relationships built with with Nicola and with Evan Fournier. Uh, we we talk a lot about the NBA being a business. How much does it affect you as being an individual that do cover these players for a long period of time that they get traded halfway through the season? Now you kind of have to start over and building those relationships. Does it impact you any differently as you know it, it may with some of the players on the team? No, definitely. I mean, when you get to know some of these guys, there's a trust level. You could go to them on off the record, get insights from them about the team. Uh, you know, what they're really feeling. They become familiar with you. They know, you know, after a while of, of how you've covered them, that you're fair and balanced and, and, and you know, have have good intentions. Uh, so when you lose that and you lose it all at once, you know, it, it's it's a it's a bit of an adjustment. But, uh, you know, for me, I've also been, you know, working in the NBA in some capacity since 2006. So it's not something that's uh, new to me in any way. But uh, when you have that many trades, especially mid-season, it's it's a big adjustment. So because usually you'll have one or two trades maybe that are, are big towards the trade deadline, but to have you know three of them 
uh, is pretty substantial. So that was a big adjustment. And then like we were talking about doing it amidst Zoom conferences uh, makes it tougher because the guys that are coming in, it's harder to have conversations with them and get to know them. Dan, you've been with the team for for a while. You mentioned that you know you've had these relationships with these players for a long time. Yeah. Now, what would you say is by far your most memorable moment with the Magic? One moment that you can look back to and say, "Man, like this this was special." Yeah, I, this one's this one's tough because there were a lot. Especially, you know, I joined my first season was the two thousand eight two thousand nine season. So I hop on, and first year we go to the NBA Finals. Not a so, bad time to hop on. It was uh, it was a special special time, and I think back to the playoff series in Boston uh, in the Eastern Conference semifinals that year. Boston previously in its history was something that, like I think it's thirty two and zero in a game seven situation when they were up previously like three two in a series and they had home court. There, there was some long statistic, and you know it just felt like if they could beat the Boston Celtics in the garden like this, but the way that momentum was going, uh, they could make a finals run. And, you know, going into that game, it was a hostile crowd guy behind me, uh, you know, had noticed that my, you know, media seat, cause the fans were right on top of the media seating there, uh, noticed that it said Orlando magic.com was harassing me the, the whole game. You know, uh, I think we used to do a, a live chat back then. Cause this is kind of like as Twitter is coming on, we used to have a blog called cover it live where we would go and interact with fans and kind of post thoughts and fans would interact back uh, during that series. And it was so hard to focus because the guy, like every play was just saying stuff. And so for the magic to go and win for me to kind of have a last laugh with, with him and then go into the locker room afterwards uh where I think Stan Van Gundy had written on the wall 32 and one, uh, you know, for the fact that the magic had won the energy in that locker room afterwards was just, uh, you know, amazing. And so to be there to cover that type of, of moment was something special with that, with this very special team. And then the whole subsequent season, uh, cause it's one thing like to cover a team that kind of surprises people gets to the finals. But the, the interesting thing about the part of the next year was that it was like expected, you know? And so throughout the whole season, you're like, okay, this is all building up to what happens in the postseason. And then to go through the first two playoff series where you sweep the then Bobcats, you sweep the Hawks, uh, they beat the Hawks by like a record, then record margin in the playoff series. It was something like an average of 18 or 19 points a game. Uh, that was that was special as well, uh, especially to the guy behind me, Vince Carter, you know, to cover another Hall of Famer uh, caliber player on that list. You know, that was that was a fun back to back seasons of events. It's funny you mentioned Boston, Dan, because I actually lived up north before and in Boston yeah. is my closest arena. Um, so for the 2010 season where Vince was for the team, I made it out there to a couple games in Boston. And like you mentioned, the fans there were ruthless. Like <laughs> my wife and I were the only ones with blue magic gear in the entire arena. Everybody else was wearing green. But it, funny enough, it was my favorite memory as a Magic fan, just because they were throwing peanuts at us, going back and forth when Dwight was at the free throw line. But I wouldn't change it for the world. I would change the outcome of what happened. But unfortunately, you know, the, the memory itself was was incredible to to be a part of that. Yeah, no, no question. Going into a hostile environment, those fans get into it. Uh, I could tell you even for the preseason game that we played there to open the the, the season, those fans were into it. So, you know, it's definitely a, a tough environment to win in. But when you do, uh, you know, for, for the whole experience, it's all the more special. That's right. By far to this day, one of my favorite Orlando Magic teams. Um, and there, there's a lot of I feel like there's always debates um, when it comes to Magic fans and thinking about those teams on, you know, what if we would have did this? What if, you know, Ray for Austin played more than Jameer? What if Courtney Lee would have made that layup, the alley-oop layup? Like what would have, what dynamics would have changed? Um, so you being able to witness a lot of these moments personally, if you were to go back in time and adjust, like you have the Dan Savage power to be able to change a savage moment. What would be that one moment that you would change um, in magic history to where, you know, maybe it could have been a little bit more in our favor. You know, 
That's a, that's a lot. There's a lot of those because you could look at the you know Courtney Lee layup. If that goes in, does that alter the way that series goes? Uh, like you mentioned, the Rafer Alster Alston Jameer Nelson balance and uh, that one, which. The, the thing that I always like to point to to fans, because I had this conversation with, uh, you know, radio analyst, and former Magic coach, Richie Adubato, kind of while it was happening. And, you know, what he pointed to was in those the Magic beat the Lakers in both regular season contests that they played on that season. So the 2-0 in the regular season of that year against the Lakers. And in both of those wins, Jameer Nelson had played a huge role. So I think what it had to be in Stan's mind was that if we could add Jameer back and even get you know a bit of him, he was so effective against that team in the regular season that that had to play you know partial of a, of a role into his thinking of bringing him back in that final series. But for me, like I said, I felt like the 2010 team was so loaded and obviously – you know, came close. I'd like to get another shot at the start of that series because I felt like the way the Magic had to sit for so long in between playoff series, whereas meanwhile, Boston was battle-tested going against LeBron and a Cavs team, and they came in, you know, just after this big, brutal battle while the Magic were having to sit back, and I felt they were just a little bit more in tune, whereas the Magic kind of had to, you know, gain momentum back uh, as they were going against Boston. So, I could look at that series. The other thing that I've always wondered that, that you know, make a good what if is what if, you know, the Magic decide to, to keep Hito Turkoglu and still make the Vince Carter trade. That would be an interesting lineup with just how many uh, scores you could have rolled out there but with Jameer being able to create his own shot, Vince being able to do it, Turk being a great playmaker, uh, and then still rolling in guys like Petrus, you know, Q Rich off the bench. Now that that would have been an interest. Or, or, sorry, Matt Barnes off the bench, etc. That that would have been you know interesting basketball right there. I'd I'd, I'd like to see to see how that all, all would have you know played together. Man, uh, what it, about you? What, what what would be that one thing that you would go back into in time for? I was just gonna say it's funny he mentioned that because that's my number one like what if in Magic history. Just because again I'm a huge Vince Carter fan. And I really, really wanted Vince to have another shot to get to the finals. Again, that's the one thing that I, as a fan, unfortunately never got to see Vince make it to that to that stage. Um, and I really thought that year they had that chance. Now, things didn't play out. My thinking was reload, try it again the following season. And if you guys remember, when it all went down, it was just a weird timing, right? Like, Rashad, uh, the team was got a, a flu virus that kind of hit the team in December. Yeah. They lost a couple games. And then next thing you know, we blew it up. So I kind of wish that that flu never happened. And the team mm-hmm. was playing well. Like they, they had lost a few games, but they were playing well. Um, I, I really think if they would have kept that team together, they would have made some noise once again in the Eastern Conference. And you never know how things play out um, towards in the playoffs and towards the finals. Um, but I really think that Magic team deserved more time. Yeah. Yeah, I really wanted to see, if I can go back in time, I would really want to see what a Trace McGrady, Dwight Howard lineup would have mm. looked like that's a good one too <laughs> thinking back and and i know that the relationship between john wise rod tracer mcgrady was really really sour and it was like a point of no return um but just thinking you know trace mcgrady had made a comment that i want to play with the best center in the league and he really felt that that was yao ming what he didn't know was that was definitely <laughs> going to be dwight howard for a very long period of time and just the just the thought that you know who knows maybe trace mcgrady stays a lot healthier who knows but just thinking of potentially having our own kobe shack dynamic like in in that era i think that would have been ridiculous ridiculous that would definitely be a hundred percent without a doubt um a healthy trace mcgrady and dwight howard <laughs> it's hard to argue with <laughs> now um now modern day orlando magic basketball we've had a couple games already in the preseason um what do you what do you think of the new guys so far how, how do you like the new dynamic how do you like uh coach Moses' system with the new guys how are you feeling with with this new era of magic basketball oh it's an exciting time uh with the orlando magic and you know it starts with with coach mosley as you mentioned there's such a unique interesting dynamic with him in that you know he has such an energy about him and he's such a good connector of people and when you know people ask me oh what do you think of you know coach and i try to explain it it's hard to point to like one thing because with him it's more 
just a consistency and a collection of things, just the, you know, acknowledgement calling you by your name, just, you know, the way that he comes up and makes little connections. If he remembers something about you, he, you know, he, he brings it up in conversation. It really makes you feel, you know, connected with him. And, you know, that's not just with me, that's observing him doing it with other people, other members of the media, other people with the staff, other players. And he just got a, that real unique aspect about him. And, I was impressed with it on his first day on the job, even more impressed with it, watching him closely throughout the the weeks of summer league. And then now into training camp, it's just consistency in, in that regard. And I think when you have a young team with so many impressionable young players, that's trying to shift the culture and build a new environment. I think that's so important. And you could see, I mean, whether it be the viral photo of him with the basketball in his fan that, you know, I mean, basketball in his hand that that caught fire or just the the way and the dynamic he interacts with the players on the court. Uh, you know, it's unquestioned. He he's a good fit for this team, especially where it is right now. And I think that's going to pay big dividends as these players develop and, and go later into their careers. And, you know, to have a guy like him with a background in player development who's been through the process, you know, he played basketball, you know, at a high level uh, himself. He's only, you know, 42, 43 years old. Uh, so he, he's got the ability to relate to these guys on, on a different level. I think it's a good fit. And, you know, it's it's been, you know, really neat to observe this uh, and where it's going. Now, I completely agree with you. I think it's, it's, you can see it, you know, right? We'll coach yeah. mostly the way that the, the guys just kind of connect with him, how they talk about him at media day into the preseason when they've done media. It's that communication, that connection, not only on the court, but also off the court with the players. And again, that's going to transition into great things for these young guys as the season progresses. Um, so, taking it to an individual level, you know, who do you think has benefited the most or who has impressed you the most on a player standpoint so far this season? That's tough. I've been really impressed with the fact that, you know, Mo Bamba's never had a true offseason where he's really been able to to focus on his craft. And so this was going to be his first offseason where he'd be able to really work on it. And, you know, he's going to have a new staff, a fresh start. Vooch, who, you know, you have an all-star center in front of you. Uh, it was always going to be an obstacle. Uh, so now, you know, that path is clear a little bit. Uh, you have a new head coach. Uh, you have a full off season. What was he going to do with it? Was he going to capitalize on that opportunity? And I think, you know, clearly through a few preseason games, we're seeing, in fact, that he has. And I think it all started with Mo from the fact that he attended summer league. You know, he didn't have to, but he went up there early, uh, picked up the principles of Coach Mosley's system, what were going to be important things for him to do defensively so he could help anchor that unit. And he's made the most of it. I think that's why he's having a, such a good start is because it didn't start for him training camp day one. You know, he's been going through this process with, with Coach Mose for months now. So I really like the, the work that he's put in and the progress he's showing. And the other guy, uh, a guy who people question who should start. And well, in fact, we're seeing them play right alongside each other is Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, you know, he's. He's made an impact since the moment he got here, worked in the offseason on extending his range, and we're seeing dividends with that guy as well. So uh, the two big men in, in Orlando have been really impressive in training camp and excited to see what it looks like with them playing together even more. Hopefully we see some more of that tomorrow night against the Celtics. I love everything about having them in the lineup together, everything about it, because they, it, it feels like – you know, you're getting the twin tower with that defensive presence where, you know, you get blown, you blow by, you blow by one of them. You still have to deal with Mo Bamba or Wendell Carter. Wendell, and they're so, they're so different. You know, Wendell reminds me of a old school power forward, big man that really uses his muscle. And then, you know, Mo Bamba's more, in my opinion, you're, you're modern big man today. Um, now the question is, he's been doing so, Mo Bamba's been doing so well this preseason that in my opinion, looks like a completely different player. You mentioned that this is really one of the first off seasons that he really had to be able to really develop. Um, do you feel like he's really made that turn? Can fans have confidence in enough or confidence enough with what we've seen so far to really see him, you know, progress even more? Because up to this point, it's been a little disappointing. We've expected more, but now we're starting to see the the dividends from it. Yeah, and I think 
You know, the, the one thing, if you're looking for the, the positive side of things, is you look at the way he finished last season. That was impressive. You're starting to show flashes, and they were becoming more and more consistent. And then you look and say, okay, well, what is that guy going to do with what we saw in those flashes? Is he going to you know, rest on his laurels, or is he going to work hard in the offseason? And then when it comes to the offseason, we see him show up at Summer League. We see him putting a lot of work in. And, you know, that quickly translates into training camp and the preseason. So I think the next step for Mo is having some consistency to start the regular season because there's no question uh, the potential's there. Uh, I mean, a guy of that size with that wingspan, his ability to block shots uh, and, you know, his stroke from the outside all bode very well for his future in the NBA. It's just going to be consistency, doing things the right way, not making, you know, defensive lapses or being slightly late on rotations. And as long as he continues to do that, which he's done tremendously, uh, throughout the preseason, I think, you know, everybody's got a reason to be, you know, very excited about Mo Bamba. And it's not just, you know, us here in Orlando that are noticing, you know, people on the national le- level are starting to pick up as well. So, uh, it, you know, it's exciting to see him get that kind of recognition and hopefully he continues to build on it. Yeah, I think I think it's, again, it's, it's a lot of excitement just with Mo Bamba alone. If he can develop into the player that we think we drafted back in, in 2018, if he can become that player, I think that's going to be a massive boost uh, to the Orlando Magic. Then you add to that, of course, J.I. coming back, Markel, and all the young guys that we've assembled in this team. It could take the team to another level for sure. Now, Dan, when it comes to the opposite stream, so what about things that may be worrying you uh, so far in preseason? Are there any things that you've noticed? You're like, hey, like that's something we've got to fix before next Wednesday when games actually matter. Well, I think the tough thing that this team's going to have to deal with early on is – you know, any team that has a new head coach always has a, a tough start to the season because there's only so much time in training camp to install so many things. I mean, even, you know, you look at Steve Clifford in his final year in Orlando had a veteran team with returning players, and there were still elements of his system, even with players being very familiar with it, that they were still installing, you know, a couple games into the season and so on and so forth. Now yet that you have a very young team <laughs> with a new head coach, um, you know, it's going to take a while to, to install all the elements of his offense and his defense. So I think at this stage where they are right now is they have the base principles in place. They have an offense designed where it can rely on, you know, playmaking, free-flowing nature, good decision-making of its guards. But you're also still relying on guards who are young and inexperienced, and albeit they have, you know, tremendous potential – it's going to take a while. So I think for me, the start of this season has got to be all about growth. Are we seeing growth out of those young players game to game? Are they winning the days in practice? Are they having good practices and building on the next one? The mistakes that we see in game one, are they still making them in game four or are they correcting them? So, you know, I, I think the thing I want to see early on is how they handle dealing with that adversity and do they continue to build uh, as the season progresses. And I think a large part of that and the part of it that makes it exciting is that there's so many young players on that team that, you know, it's 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 a tall order for Coach Mosley because there's there's a lot of talent to try and develop. How how do you see him focusing on uh, on so many different players? Is he is he really capable? Is any coach really capable of trying to develop seven, eight really young players that, you know, could potentially have a really high ceiling? Well, if there is a coach, I think I think it's him. <laughs> that's his background, and that's the the type of staff he's brought in as well. You know, a head coach often gets the credit and the blame, but a lot of times, you know, assistant coaches, you know, have tremendous responsibility as well. And he's brought in a really good deep staff, and you can notice that right away in summer league with all the way that these guys operate a practice when they're called upon to do their you know research on a team or give their scouting report or give their take of the practice plan for the day. Uh, He's got a good staff underneath him uh, that I think is going to help cultivate this because you're right. It's not just always going to be one guy, although I believe he's a great leader and will help set the tone, but he's got a good staff underneath him. And I think the other part to it is that as you look through each position group, there is a veteran presence there. So if you look at the center, you've got Robin Lopez working with those big men. And I think having a guy like him who you got to bang with, Every day in practice is a valuable asset. You look at the wing positions and having Terrence Ross and Gary Harris 
and, and their presence there. And then you look at the backcourt, having a guy like Etwan Moore, who's been on both sides of this thing. He's been with a young, rebuilding Orlando Magic group back in, you know, in 2014-ish, uh, all the way fast forward to a Suns team last year that's young and finding its way to the NBA Finals. So each position group has that balance. He's got good assistant coaches and a you know a head coach who's got a background in player development and high basketball level experience himself. So I think you got a good uh, a group here, and that's without mentioning you know Jeff Weltman, John Hammond, their staff that they've built from a, a front office perspective. Uh, you know, I, I really like the way things are, are shaping out here in Orlando for the future of, of this franchise. And it's funny you mentioned each one more. He's one of the guys that we've heard Jalen Suggs now refer to multiple times as a guy who's in his only his year, working with him after practice, getting him to, to get better on in his game individually. Um, talking about Jalen Suggs here quickly, I'm going to add, add to that as well. Uh, our other rookie, uh, Franz Wagner. What are your thoughts so far for them in preseason? I know fans are kind of worried a little bit. The stats haven't been there. But, of course, it's preseason. Again, the, the, yeah. none of this really matters. But what are your takes so far on Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner early in the season? Really, really excited about both of them. And, it, you know, this is one of those things we were talking about at the beginning of the show where it's like when you're traveling, do you pick up more? And you know, definitely in this case – uh, it definitely applies. Uh, so I could tell you from being at Summer League, one of the fun things about being at Summer League in, in Vegas is wherever you're sitting, whether it be out to dinner at a restaurant or, uh, you know, at a media table and the people next to you, you're always sitting next to somebody's scout, somebody's video guy, some guy from a third party company that has the software that's going to pay who the next NBA superstar is. You got, you got all that all blended together. It's like a uh, diehard hoops fan's dream. So I love summer league for, for that environment. And I could tell you at the start of this thing, everybody, and this is just strictly removing any magic people from the equation. I'm not talking about anybody affiliated with the uh, Orlando magic who may have some sort of, you know, bias towards the success of these players. And I cannot tell you how many times somebody was like, we either had Jalen Suggs, number one, two or three on our board. Uh, so excited for the future of this guy. We had tremendous conversations about him. Love his character and makeup. Love what he could do. Franz Wagner, our, our analytics people had this guy marked as, you know, a steal of the draft. Uh, perfect, you know, player that's going to make other players around him better. Uh, would have an immediate impact if you threw him in on a veteran team because he knows how to cut, knows how to move away from the basketball and just has things, innate abilities you you can't teach. So, you know, that was kind of, you, you know, you, you love to hear that secondary confirmation uh, from other sources that it's not just you who's seeing it or, you know, people with the team that's seeing it. it it's coming from every direction. And so then I think you add to that, you know, having watched these guys closely, uh, there's a lot of elements to their game, I think, that a lot of other rookies would struggle with. So, look, Steve Clifford used to say this all the time when he's here. He's like, you know, any player in the NBA can go and put up hollow stats. These type of guys are not going to be hollow stat guys. They're going to contribute to winning basketball. They both play, uh, you know, they're both going to be two-way players. Uh, Jalen Suggs has the willingness to, you know, fight through screens defensively, make tough plays. You could see the the fact that he was both Mr. Basketball and Mr. Football in the state of Minnesota, uh, you know, during his high school career, he plays that way. He plays like that kind of physical presence with Franz Wagner. You know, I think he's going to suffer a little bit early in his career while the magic are trying to figure out the lineups and you have point guards who are trying to figure out the system just in the sense that he is such a good cutter. And if you look, there's times he's going to the basket that if you were with a veteran Point guard, they might find him right away. Or, you know, if everybody was familiar with the system, they know what he was doing. He, he's not going to make mistakes. And, and that's, you know, valuable to have. Will he, will, will he you know, flash immediately in the points and, and those type of things right off the bat? That'll be interesting to see. I, I don't know the answer to that question. Because obviously in preseason, that's not the focus is like, let's get Jalen 30 or, you know, Franz Wagner 20, et cetera. But uh, I like the cerebral nature of both those players. And I think the long-term future for them uh, both is extremely bright. And I think uh, Magic fans should be excited about both of them. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook 
an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was all the way back in 1943, so I'd say this is a no-brainer. If Sportsbook is not available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prices all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prices with their first deposit. All you have to do is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now using promo code TBPN. Throw down just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, and $1 wager required. One per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problems? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So there's obviously a lot of things to be excited about um, when we talk about Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner. Now, what would you say to the fans that, you know, we we had a really strong showing, or excuse me, Jalen Suggs had a really strong showing um, in the summer league, but during this preseason where now we're actually on the courts and we're playing against, you know, these NBA players, these NBA teams, you know, the, uh, you know, it kind of dwindled down a little bit. What would you say to the fans that haven't been impressed uh, with Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner as of well? Yeah, I think, you know, Jalen Suggs addressed it best when, uh, you know, asked before the start of preseason, you know, what he was hoping to get out of it. And he's like, you know, my goal isn't to go out and score 30 every night or triple double. It's, you know, preseason. It's developing within the, the flow of the offense, kicking down the, the key principles and, you know, and, and trying to build a flow and a repertoire, figure out where other guys are trying to be and vice versa. You know, other guys are trying to figure out how to, how to play alongside these guys. And so kind of where I was going with with the Franz thing where, you know, if you plugged him into a veteran team right off the bat, I think he would fit easy because he just does so many of the little things very well and makes other guys around him better. Um, You know, when you're in a nature where, okay, you're still trying to figure out rotations, what's the starting group, you're taking everybody out of that. It's it's a lot to, to also ask for young players to then have a consistency in their statistical uh, you know, flow with them as well. So I think as you you see the season start, playing groups start to form. Uh, there's a consistency and chemistry built amongst these guys. Uh, you're going to see the the performance and the statistical stuff start to flow as well. You know, I mean, look at the when the Heat were formed with you know Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and LeBron James, who were all in the prime of their careers. There was a flow there that took time, and those guys are you know at at some of the best level. In fact, it wasn't even until season two that they really reached their pinnacle. So to be making any sort of judgments off a team with a new head coach <laughs> that's still developing playing groups, rotations and stuff like that, and put that upon two rookies who've had three preseason games that really the practices in a lot of ways are more important than these games in, in some sense of the effort they put forth towards them, like in terms of like game planning, et cetera, uh, is, is just foolish because like during a, a regular season game, for example, uh, the day before's practice is dedicated to correcting those mistakes you've seen from the prior game and, you know, maybe some install for the next game. And then the shoot around is solely focused on the opponent, things that they do, how are we going to adjust to that? Here's what we're going to do in the flow. In the preseason, there's none of that. It's still about installing offense, you know, focusing on that and then you just you know roll it out there against the other team and then make the corrections afterwards so to to base any sort of judgments off those elements is you know is is foolish uh you know it's gonna you're, you're gonna want at least a you know 15 20 game sample size into this regular season before you start trying to draw any really valuable conclusions as to the development of certain guys because it's going to take a while for them to build up a rapport you know, get used to a, a certain starting unit, who are the reserve guys, et cetera. And then we could start figuring out as the offense becomes fully installed, as the defense becomes fully installed, what these guys are really made of. 
And I think it's it's kind of similar to Cole Anthony during the summer league. I feel, yeah. you know, the average fan, they weren't impressed with Cole Anthony, what he was doing. They, you know, we heard the comments of Cole Anthony is not the same. He's too little, like all these little things that they were saying about Cole Anthony. And then preseason comes around. Oh, he's a completely different player. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the average fan needs to understand that, you know, it, these things do take time. It's a transition. Uh, from college basketball to now professional basketball. Um, it, it, there is going to be a transition that needs to take place for these guys to get comfortable and to be able to find their way. Um, now, with that being said, you know, kind of going back to, you know, there's a lot of players to develop and, and a lot of our young guys have a high ceiling. When you take a look at our roster, who would you say is the most important player uh, for this upcoming season for the team to be successful? And yeah, whatever, I mean, that definition, whatever, whatever that I mean, definition may be. Well, I mean, that's really tough. Uh, what you what you want to see, in my opinion, out of this particular season is is you want to see a consistent growth from a lot of the young players and then have one or two guys emerge that you're like, OK, they're they're guys that could potentially be, you know, difference makers. And if you get that, that is a success. Uh, you know, if, if it's trending in that direction, I think the other thing um, which you guys kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, is then reintegrating, you know, Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz as they come back from injury. Uh, because in order for this thing to, you know, all really work the way that we want to in the future, it's like not only do you have to have growth amongst these guys, but you got to have the two other guys who can be key factors into this, you know, organization's success reacclimate and develop well. So if they can reacclimate and come into this, uh, you know, come into the team at some point during this season. And we're seeing steady growth from a number of the young players, whether that be Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner, who we've talked about, or, you know, guys like RJ Hampton, Wendell Carter Jr., Cole Anthony, Mo Bamba, et cetera. I mean, even Chumo Kiki, who, you know, uh, a lot of people, you know, don't mention as much because he's dealing with the hip thing right now. But as all these guys start to come back and become reacclimated, uh, are we seeing steady growth from the young guys? Because if we get steady growth from, you know, all or a high percentage of these guys uh, and then reintroduce Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz, uh, if this thing's going to be trending in a, in a nice direction very quickly. So to me, it's just all about growth day to day. Um, it doesn't have to you know happen overnight, but just day by day, month by month, week, you know, or week by week, month by month. Are we seeing progression? In, in different guys' games. And if we see that, you know, alongside the reintroduction of the other guys, I think that this is going to be a successful season for the Orlando Magic. Now, if you had to, to just name one guy that will improve the most between October and April when the season mm. ends, who do you think that player would be? I mean, I'm going to go with, with Jalen Suggs just because, you know, I think it's going to be evident when you have a, a young player who's going to have the ball in his hands uh, a considerable amount and things will be asked for him to create the flow of the offense. I think as he becomes familiar with his teammates, uh, it's going to help him tremendously as his teammates become familiar with him. And then just as he gets the run through of the NBA gamut, like, I mean, you look at the list of guards you have to go – up every night and primary ball handlers it's just brutal <laughs> and so as you as you go through that at least once and have a, a good sense of like okay what is it like going up against chris paul who can you know get in your face and disrupt you uh, as we saw in that first preseason game what's it like going up against marcus smart where he's in your face possession to possession and the physical nature with with which he plays the game and you know some of the things the refs might not see because he has a way of doing it about him. Uh, you know, he's a crafty veteran, those type of elements, as you get to see a guy a second time, that's why I was really hoping that Marcus Smart was going to play uh, tonight was or tomorrow night was just to see that secondary matchup. Did Jalen pick up on things from the first one? So we'll have to wait for the regular season to see that. But I think for these like, you know, primary ball handlers or, you know, just guards in general, because obviously he'll play some off ball as well. It really takes a full run through to, to have tremendous, you know, winning success. And so I think for him, he's going to make a, a big jump from the start of the season to midway through. 
Now, Dan, ESPN has the Orlando Magic being dead last um, when we talk about standings. ESPN and their their clever articles. Um, <laughs> what what are you thinking? If we if we were to align the perfect storyline for the Magic, and we do get back a healthy Jonathan Isaac, a healthy Markel Fultz, we have a healthy roster, and we start to see you know the de- development with our young guys. Um, do you see the Magic winning more than twenty two games? Uh, I think what's what it's going to take for that to happen is that early in the season, the veterans are going to you know, have to carry the load. You're going to have to see Terrence Ross get off to a hot start. You're going to have to see Gary Harris be you know, more like the player he was in Denver than his first season in Orlando uh, to help steady the load. You're going to have to see the consistency from Mo Bamba that we've seen in the preseason, Wendell Carter take a step. And then that can help some of the other young guys as they're starting to find themselves and make their ascension. And, you know, then they could kind of balance down. So if you can get out of that, I think you'll have a a more successful season than, you know, what perhaps whatever statistical basis that ESPN's using for 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 that type of type of article. So I think that's what kind of nature you're going to have to see early is veterans are going to have to get off to hot starts and then that'll allow for, you know, as the young players make their progression to kind of level out a little bit and still maintain success. Yeah, I think that you said it perfectly. I think that that's what it would take to see <laughs> the Magic overcome that, that 22 and a half game um, prediction that ESPN and yeah. other media outlets have, have given us. Like, I mean, they, they're having us as being one of the worst teams in the East. And again, as you're mentioning, if, th- if things work out, I can't see that being, being accurate. And hopefully that will be the case. Now, for you personally, what is one bold prediction for the Magic this upcoming season? Ooh, bold prediction. Hot take time. <laughs> uh, you know, I haven't really thought about that as much just because, um, you know, I've been so focused on looking like a player by player growth because I think that's in order for us to like really, you know, because obviously like, look, the Magic could have stayed put with the veterans that they had and there was a certain ceiling on this group, right? They were only going to go so far. So when you do an adjustment like this, it's to make the potential ceiling higher. So, you know, any goals that you could set forth this season, I think have to be focused towards making that ultimate ceiling that they potentially have, you know, higher and higher. So to me, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be growth. I think one of the things that, that I would like to see, you know, that, you know, maybe is, is just that when we come to the point in the uh, you know season where they're having you know the all-star nominations for rookies and sophomores, that the Magic have a high level of representation both among the rookie base and the sophomore base. If they you know choose to do that, I haven't you know they've done these world things and international things. I haven't looked to see what the latest iteration of it, but just assuming that that's what were the play take place at NBA All-Star Weekend where you had a traditional rookie sophomore game. That the Magic had multiple representation in that game because to me that if if they're being seen that way then things are progressing in the right nature now as we all know being here in orlando it could be the case where we have multiple players worthy of of that and don't get the representation anyway because that's the kind, of, the kind of love we can get at times i mean aaron gordon won the dunk contest or at least ty won the dunk contest twice and still didn't get credit for it so i'm not going to put too much on the NBA all-star plate because they've uh, shunned us before, but in the sense that if we have multiple guys playing that way, I like what that does for the ultimate ceiling of this team into the future. Yeah, that even reminds me of uh, Cole Anthony getting a snub on the all-rookie, not even the all-rookie second team, where he was close enough to where he was, what, one player away, was it, Al? Yeah, I mean, he had two game winners under his belt, so. uh, I I wish people could see what we see. Yeah, just keep just sleeping. Close up. Keep sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dan. So we're we're gonna jump into our overtime um section where we you know we we throw out some rapid questions out to you. All right. So this very first one is uh Shaq or Dwight. Now, when we say Shaq or Dwight, are we talking about the ultimate arcs of their careers? Or are we just talking about what they did for the magic? Because there's two I, there's two different things there. Cause I think ultimately like, look, Shaq was the more dominant specimen. If you could have had eight, 10, 12 years of Shaq with the magic, that probably look, you know, pretty good, but ultimately who did more for the magic. And you look at Dwight, you know, the finals appearance, won a finals game, uh, you know, 
probably in a huge part responsible for helping get that arena built that we all enjoy and love here here in Orlando. Um, you know, eight seasons, you know, multiple straight defensive player of the year awards. He probably did more for the magic, although Shaq put him on the map in the 90s. Uh, but ultimately, better player all time, definitely Shaq. But Dwight, you know, not to be undersold. I mean, heck, I took this job because Dwight Howard was in Orlando Magic uniform. So that's the kind of things that, uh, that you know, you don't, you don't even see or think about in the, in the, you know, butterfly effect chain of events. It's just that, like, you know, when you have a player like that, when people are thinking about making career decisions, what organizations do they join? You have a player like that, people, you know, want to hop on board and cover that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Dwight's impact here was enormous. So was Shaq's. Uh, be happy to have second iterations of either of them. <laughs> and just to kind of follow up on that, because I've always been curious with this question. This is a, de- a debate that I have way more often than not. Um, let's say that the Orlando Magic organization, they decide to lighten the restrictions on the requirements for retiring a jersey. Does Shaquille O'Neal deserve to have a jersey retired in the rafters if the Magic decided to hang jerseys? Yeah, uh, that's, a, you know, that's, a, that's a tough one, especially for a team that doesn't currently have any retired. Um, his time was short, but his impact was huge. Uh, you know, a lot of people – became Magic fans because of Shaq. So that's a that's a tough one. Because usually you'd want a player who's like, you know, signed multiple contracts with a team, you know, played that kind of duration, or, you know, brought a team championships. Like if Shaq, in his short time, won the championship, then you'd say, you know, unquestionably, like, you know, retire his jersey. Um, especially if it were the first championship, you know, for a franchise. But you know, I, I like what the Magic are doing with the, uh, you know, Magic Hall of Fame and, and honoring and bringing back guys guys that way. Um, just because it allows to tell the story, brings a number of people together. And I think those are those are moments that's special. So the fact that they're, you know, at least finding a way to honor these guys uh, is nice. Um, but it'll, I'll be I'll be interested to see, you know, as time goes on, who the first Jersey retired is. Uh, hope I'm there to get to see that. Now, Dan, I'm going to ask a quick yes or no question here. Okay. Are you ever worried about what Cole Anthony may say during an, during an interview? <laughs> um, I'll go yes, because I just want to make sure I hear it, because it's probably <laughs> amazing. <laughs> because it's like, you know, whether it be the bet or, you know, or this or that. I mean, the guy is a, a quote, gold mine. So you just want to make sure. I'm worried that he'll say something and I won't be there to hear it <laughs> kind of thing. I want to make sure I'm there for all his interviews. It's a lot of really good sound bites, really good sound bites. He, it's like a, a walking gif ready, ready to happen. Exactly. <laughs> um, what would you say is your all time favorite Orlando magic uniform? Um, I'm going the vintage, you know, black pinstripe, you know, star over the, the eye, um, you know, just classic one. I, when they brought those back, um, you know, it was one of Victor Oladipo's first years uh, and they were all in those all black, you know, classic pinstripes. Those to me, you know, I, I'd roll them out every day. I just play in them, you know, nonstop. Forget it. Like, I'm a big fan of the black pinstripes. Yeah. I'm really, really big fan of the black pinstripes. Followed closely by the blue. I love the blue yes. version of that as well. Now, last question for you, Dan. Favorite current NBA player to watch? Okay, so this is interesting. I'm glad you, you brought this up. So I'm a guy that, like, I get really into the draft hype, meeting these guys at the combine, you know, looking at all these guys. So I love watching guys in their first, second year in the NBA. So, like, for example, I was, you know, super into when I first started out with the league because I started writing for NBA.com from 2006 to 2008 before I joined the magic 2008, 2009. And like I had the, you know, then Pacific division and it was assigned a lot of Seattle supersonics games along with the Phoenix suns. And I remember watching Kevin Durant at the beginning of his career. And, you know, some of the things that people like if Twitter was around then and we had like a record, 
I remember the conversations, people talking about Kevin Durant and early in his career, will he ever be a winning player? Is he just going to have like hollow stats? Is he ever going to be an efficient scorer? And then we look all these years later and that's just like stupid. This is why you don't put any stock even into like a full season. Cause people are having those conversations about Kevin Durant. Like I remember at the time after his first season in the NBA, was he going to be an efficient enough scorer? So that's why I don't put too much, you know, stock in, in, into any of that. And, you know, still years later, one of my favorite players to watch, like Carl Anthony Towns, uh, you know, early iteration of him, uh, shout out to the fellow Piscataway, New Jersey native. Um, you know, I loved watching the beginning phases of his career. Trey Young, same thing. I think the guy I'm already following, I had, see, I had two guys I really liked in the draft and one was Jalen Suggs. So it's awesome that I get to, to cover him night in, night out. And another guy uh, was Jalen Green. So I'm excited to watch him a lot this season. I think he's got that kind of it scoring factor about him. I think the interesting part that you're going to have to watch is like, okay, how does he balance uh, being an effective electrifying scorer, which I think he can be at this level, with also getting teammates involved and making winning plays? And so that's going to be the interesting thing. I end up you know, watching these guys and trying to make these rash judgments that I'm just warning other people not to make myself and, you know, having those in conversations. But uh, yeah, so I'll probably be watching a lot of, uh, in addition to obviously, you know, covering the magic, uh, watching a lot of him this season. I think I could already find myself, I'm already watching a lot of preseason tape and trying to come to those conclusions. So as well as, you know, the time he played in summer league. Yeah. I think that uh, during the draft or before the draft lottery, you know, Alan and I, we were talking, we we're like, as long as we get one of the Jalen's, just give me one. That's all That's all we need. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. Like, I, I looked at Jalen Suggs, and I'm like, okay, this guy just has, like, winner written all over him. And the things he does well are what translate to winning in the NBA right now. And it's just like, and not when Jalen Suggs, it's just not all about him. It's about what the team, it's about what wins. And I, I just think he's going to, as he develops, he's going to figure out just have perfect times to turn on the switch from I've got to be, you know, a scorer and, and win my team by put help my team win by putting the ball in the basket. And then also when to turn it off and, you know, become a facilitator, get another guy going and then play big on the defensive end. Because as, as we see in the NBA, you have to be able to be balanced on both ends of the floor. And I think he's a perfect example of that and the, the kind of guy you want leading your you know franchise. And we're going to get more of that. We'll be able to see the regular season that's coming right around the corner to really start to see, you know, the beginning of of the development for for Jalen Suggs, Franz Wagner and the rest of the Magic Group. Dan, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. It was definitely a lot of fun. Thank you for sharing uh, your wealth of knowledge. And uh, for those that want to continue following you, uh, what, what is please share your social media. Well, yeah, just just follow on Twitter. That's where I do the, the most magic related stuff at Dan underscore Savage. Uh, happy to have a follow, a retweet, whatever, whatever you want to do, or just uh, talk about my last name. <laughs> All right. Dan the Savage Savage. To the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Ozone Podcast, the voice of magic fans. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Ozone Pod. And remember to subscribe and leave a five-star review on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.